Welcome to the Rugby Lifestyle Podcast. Uh, we are Rugby Coffee and our purpose and mission is to get the word out on this podcast to rugby people and how rugby people can make a difference um, through coffee, through rugby, um, in young kids' lives, especially those who can't afford it, don't have the opportunity. Those are the ones that we are help, looking to help. Now, today, I have got the real pleasure to welcome Dan Leo on the show. Now, um, Dan is uh, somebody that is a Heineken Cup winner and uh, as part of his many achievements, but he, as an ex Samoan international, has played in two Rugby World Cups, 2007 and 2011, and currently is the CEO of the Pacific Rugby Player Welfare. And also now, Brand Ambassador for Rugby Coffee. So welcome, Dan. Thanks for having me, Corne. It's a pleasure to be uh, on the pod and uh, also a, a Brand Ambassador for Rugby Coffee. Amazing. You you um, you sort of got a, a big list of achievements and a, a lot of things that you've, you've done. But before we get to that, um, how are you and your family? Mate, we're, we're well, uh, you know, um, thankfully, uh, thank God lockdown's over. Uh, like yourself, mate, I've got young kids, uh, two two young boys, five and two. So uh, yeah, it was particularly hard on uh, on, on parents, I think, uh, who, were, who were homeschooling young children. Um, but, you know, we're safe. Um, you know, um, we're very mindful that uh, there's a lot of people that have struggled with uh, with the virus and we our hearts go out to, to all those people that, that were affected. Um, but, yeah, looking forward to moving moving on. We're glad that things are lifted here. We're actually in the process of uh, relocating back to to, uh, to where my parents live in, in Brisbane, Australia, um, which has uh, thrown up some hurdles uh, in itself. Uh, we, hit, we packed up the house yesterday um, and are currently uh, living indefinitely with my mother, mother-in-law up here in, in, in Norwich and Norfolk um, until we can catch a flight. Uh, a lot of the flights have been cancelled uh, with the sort of um, Australia having a bit of a, a secondary uh, um, cases of the virus. So uh, yes, mate, um, interesting times. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of people yeah. probably doing it harder than we have. So uh, yeah, we're, we're blessed as well. No, that's amazing to hear that. You know, um, you've been away from Australia for a long time. Now, how long has it been since living in Australia? Yeah, yeah, that's right. I've uh, been here. Uh, I, 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 I lived in Australia for five years. I, I grew up in New Zealand, but uh, spent five years in, uh, in 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 Queensland, where I really. Um, really got, got my rugby opportunity first rugby opportunity to to go into a spot in the Queensland Reds Academy um, um, and I spent five years living in, in Brisbane uh, you know really the formative years of my of my early professional career uh, been here for 15 years now in the UK uh, since then I had to leave Australia when I played after I played for Samoa because um, at that stage they were only allowing uh, players who were eligible for the Wallabies to, to to play for their super teams, so I had to move on. Um, so yep, yeah, uh, came over here with uh, two suitcases, um, eighteen month uh, on an eighteen month contract, and uh, you know thought I'd, I'll be back home and um, shortly after that. And it 
18 months turned into 18 years almost. So, uh, you know, life takes its t- twists and turns. But, uh, yeah, again, massively, massively blessed to have had the, the opportunity to come here and live in a, a place like the UK. Uh, found a wife uh, here myself and uh, so uh, yeah um, you know and, and now about to, to embark on uh, taking her back and giving her a taste of life back on, on my side of the our side of the world <laughs> yeah no, I'm sure that will be amazing getting back to your parents and you know where you grew up are you, are you going back to Queensland Yeah, we're going back to Queensland um, my parents and uh, two of my sisters are still there uh, so yeah, again, uh, the, the, you know, the kids being in their sort of formative ages now and, and, and really, you know, um, it'd be nice to have that family support, um, around, uh, my sisters having kids themselves. Uh, we, you know, uh, us Pacific Islanders, uh, pr- probably similar to, you know, most, uh, cultures really were very family orientated and our, um, our hearts always with our, our family and, um, and our parents and wanting to spend those, you know, those last years of, uh, of, of, of my parents, you know, well, you know, um, unfortunately, you know, us, you know, us Islanders, we don't have the li- the highest life expectancy. So you, you never know when your parents are going to be taken away. So I want to spend a bit of time and actually get, let my boys, uh, know their grandparents on, uh, on my side of the family as they, as well as they do, uh, with my wife's family over here. That's amazing, um, Dan. That's amazing that um, the kids will be able to go and um, you know get that um, you know side of the family, get them to know them. Such an important thing, um, you know. And I think this lockdown has has pointed that out uh, massively. Um, and uh, uh, grandparents, yeah, you know, some people some people didn't even have a chance to sort of see their grandparents for a long time, so. And you guys now going there, that will be amazing for them to grow up in Australia, first of all, and then also just to have that um, the other side of the family also to get to know them. Exactly, uh, Corner. You know, it's um, it's been a long time away from uh, from, from from home, so. Uh... Um, hopefully I'll, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not exactly sure what I'm going to do for work. And, uh, at, at the stage, you know, um, the, the economy as, as, has all over the world has, uh, has been hit hard. So it's not, not a good time to be, uh, transitioning in, uh, countries or, or jobs. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm a firm believer that, uh, that, that God, has, uh, got a plan for us. So, uh, yep. Here's to, uh, here's to, uh, new beginnings. <laughs> Yeah, no. Um, I want to talk about your rugby in a minute again, but um, let's talk a, a little bit about coffee. Um, what is your favourite coffee and why? Oh, mate, I've only. Uh, I'm probably a relatively new coffee drinker. I started uh, before I moved out to France. I'd never really been a coffee drinker. Um, you know, if I ever went to Starbucks or, or, or Costa or anywhere when I was living here in the UK, I'd only get a hot chocolate and that was only just to keep warm on a cold winter's day. <laughs> and then I moved to France and, uh, I was at, um, I was at, uh, Perpignan, uh, for a couple of seasons and, uh, we had a fantastic state of the art coffee machine right next to my, uh, cubby hole. And, um, just, I just thought one day, I just thought, oh, I was feeling a bit tired. We're just, you know, uh, my wife was pregnant and, uh, you know, had, and, uh, we'd been up, you know, she, she hadn't been sleeping well. So, uh, I was obviously they had a knock on effect on me and I just thought, oh, I'll try the coffee and see what, you know, mainly for the caffeine, really. I thought, oh, the boy said it's a bit of a pick me up. So I, 
And then I was away. I was away. I tried it once, and then uh, made. A, I got hooked, and sitting next to that machine for two years, man, it was uh, was brilliant. Um, um, so yeah, that was probably my f- favorite coffee experience. Is actually getting uh, getting hooked on it um, out and over there in France, and uh, I became reliant on that on that machine. You know, I got to the point where I was having a shot of coffee just before every training session, before every game, double double espresso, uh, which is my uh, probably my, my my drink of preference still. Uh, coffee but uh yeah mate um obviously uh um the nespresso machine has become is very popular in my place in my house uh yeah i go through about uh, during lockdown mate i'm probably drinking five or six coffees a day which is uh horrendous but uh it's the probably i I think i think collectively i'm still spending less on my nespresso capsules than if the cafes were probably open during that time i would have made i would have absolutely broken the bank i think but uh yeah mate, good to see cafes back open and uh, i think it's for me it's uh it's the social, uh, you know, the great thing was, uh, you know, sitting next to that coffee machine uh, in, in Perpignan was was the social hub of the club. And everybody came to get a coffee and say, hey, Dan, so you were, you know, I was the most popular guy in the team by default by having the closest seat to see there. So, um, and that's, you know, that's that's been my experience of coffee really is it brings people together. Very much like rugby, you know, it's, uh, it's a, unify, a unifying, uh, you know, um, drink but you know whereas sports is, is something of preference coffee is universal you know it's uh multi-million you know you've always you've always got to you know you go into a, into a, a coffee shop and there's never a stranger it's just friends that you haven't met yet so uh, yeah mate i uh, love coffee um you know uh, from the performance side of things but also you know i've got my taste buds adjusted to it now so uh, yeah mate that's it <laughs> <laughs> No, it's great. And you, what did you, you obviously had this espresso on from that coffee machine or, or did you have lattes or um, in that uh, next to your cabello? Sorry, could you repeat that question, uh, Corny? You just cut did it. You, did you have, uh, yeah, sorry. Did you have a latte um, or did you just go like the French, uh, a straight double espresso? Yeah, mate. No, I had no, I had no, nothing to to compare to really. Um, there was two buttons on the on the machine, just single or double. That was it. Two options. Uh, so I, uh, I just hit the double, and uh, you know, went, went, got straight <laughs> into them. Really, um, yeah, it wasn't 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 fancy. It was mass a massive machine, but with two two options there. If you wanted to water it down, you had to go and boil the kettle somewhere. But I just yeah, no, I, I just went straight into it. Some of the boys, you know, James Hook was on the other side of me, a Welsh international, and uh, he used to bring his own little flask of uh, of milk in, and, and stuff like that. And I saw him steaming it there. But uh, so sometimes I'd you know scab a, a couple of you know half a half a uh, half a cup of steamed milk but uh mate now straight in, straight into the dark side mate <laughs> <laughs> amazing hey um let's go back to your uh, rugby you talked about your academy experience at queensland um was was your first professional contract after the academy was it um straight into queensland or um how did that go is it um if you give us a bit of uh, your journey from there and then, you know, coming over to the UK, um, the yeah, team definitely. you were part um, of. Yeah, I was, I was lucky enough to be picked up. Yeah, I was, I was lucky enough to be... Uh, to be picked up uh, into the Queensland Reds Academy, having not even played uh, first 15 at school. Uh, I grew up in New Zealand and was never very good at rugby, never um, ever 
you know, I was the last person, you know, if you asked me, you know, when I was 17 or 18, if I'd ever be a professional rugby player, um, you know, I would have been, I would have said you're dreaming. Um, I, 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 I scraped into the second 15 at school. I went to Auckland Grammar, which um, by all accounts is a very good, you know, good, good school, rugby school. But um, I was just, you know, I was, I was on a, I wasn't fit. Um, uh, I was, you know, more, you know, there for, you know, I actually played, uh, uh, in the first uh, Premier's basketball team, um, and that gave me some good skills. Um, but uh, yeah, wasn't rug- rugby focused at all. Came over to Queensland, picked up rugby as you do. I was a uh, you know um, new in the country at eighteen. My parents had just moved there, and I went down to as you do in you know in, in, um, in New Zealand. I just went down to the rugby club, started playing there to make some friends, and was lucky enough the year after to to, to be picked up into the Queensland Reds Academy. Um, spent two years there and then got offered a super super contract um, for for one season, um, which I actually um, I actually didn't even play any super rugby games. I played a few warm up games and got injured. I, I got uh, I was out for six months with uh, osteitis pubis, which is a very painful injury. Usually happens to kickers. I'd never kicked the ball in my life, so uh, I don't know how the heck I uh, um, picked up this injury, but. Um, you know, uh, yeah, um, a lot of AFL players get it apparently. Um, but yeah, um, yes, yeah, so I was I was pretty unlucky as a you know a young uh, back row second row who um, to to that. So so I was sort of on the on the on the outside. I didn't really get the chance to play much. Um, luckily, Samoa came to to Australia to play the Wallabies uh, at the end of the year, just as I come back from injury, and uh, um, they got an injury second uh, in the second row and. The, the, the test was in two days' time, so um, they had to look at uh, homegrown uh, sort of Australian-based Samoan qualified players. And uh, Michael Jones, the ex-All uh, Black flanker, rang me up and gave me the call-up. Um, I was on the bench uh, against Australia uh, two days later um, against a lot of the guys who were in front of me at the Reds. You know, Nathan Sharp, um, uh, Daniel Heenan. These are all guys who were you know uh, ahead of me. Um, David Giffen, um, and, and was sort of my mentors. So it was really cool to play against them. And, um, I came off of the bench and two minutes in, um, the, the, the guy ahead of me. So there'd already been one in- injury that I'd come in for cover. And the, the next guy in front of me, uh, did his Achilles two minutes into the game. So I basically played the whole game. And, um, after that, uh, was lucky enough to go on tour to England. Um, we played England at Twickenham, Scotland at Murrayfield. Um, and on the back of those, uh, three games really, um, I was approached by Wasps to uh, to come and play in uh, in the Premiership, which uh, I snapped up. I, I didn't really have any backup options. The Reds, uh, because I played for Samoa, the Reds wouldn't take me. None of the Australian teams would take me, as I said in the intro. So uh, I had to leave. Um, so I'd really thrown all my eggs in one basket there by playing for Samoa with the current eligibility rules that's still still in place now. Um, but um, yep. Um, I was young and single mate, and you know um, it was the t- the right time to go and, and and forge a name for myself. And I was just excited to to take the opportunity to come to, to England. Really, didn't think it was going to last as long as it has, but uh, you know it's um, um, yeah. As I say, you know, uh, had a good fifteen year career over here. So uh, yep, um, really blessed, mate. I lost Sorry, you there in the win. last bit. Um, yeah, I'm there. I lost you there in the last bit. Sorry, mate. Yeah, no. So, yeah, I, I didn't. I, I didn't believe that I was gonna. You know, I was gonna have uh, this uh, 
this length of a, a career over here in the UK, really, it was uh, it totally took me by surprise as well. Um, but yeah, fifteen years, uh, you know, to to play fifteen years, I played then played uh, I played five years in England, and then uh, five years in France, and then came back for another three uh, four seasons here in, in the UK. Uh, the last coming uh, last season, actually, with uh, with yourself as head coach at uh, London Cornish, which was uh, you know some yeah, of my fondest memories, to be honest. <laughs> Yeah, that was really fun. Hey, um, just um, at, at Wasps, you had um, a, a group of coaches, um, you know, forming a an incredible sort of successful squad. Talk us about that time with Wasps, and um, you know, how did you get into the Heineken Cup final, and you know. What you've learned from from the people there, the players, the coaches, you know, um, and how any experiences you want to share with us? Yeah, I guess I was, I was just really fortunate, I, I guess, to be honest, uh, Corne, to come into the squad where, you know, that was riding high on um, on confidence. Uh, two thousand and five, I arrived at Was, uh, you know, two years after England had just won the World Cup, and and, and the strong core of players that were involved in our WASP team were actually those World Cup winners, you know, uh, Simon Shaw, Delalio, uh, Josh Lucy, Matt Dawson, um, um, some big, some big names and, and big characters really who knew what they were doing. They were, you know, they were, they were very shrewd operators, uh, both on and off the field. So I learned a lot, uh, when I first arrived, you know, um, but also some, you know, there was a real, uh, good uh, mix of international uh, players as well. We had, uh, Raphael Ibanez, the French hooker. We had, uh, Oh geez, who else? Did we had we had uh, um, geez, a, a number of a number of of of, of international uh, non non England internationals in, in the squad as well, um, but also a, a, a group of very young and driven um, uh, players with, with potential. Uh, and I'm talking about uh, back then, you know, guys like James Haskell who's come through, Danny Cipriani who were very young. And I think what they realized then was that they had a, an, an older squad, an aging squad, and they had a very, and, and the other flip side of that, they had very young guys. Um, but they needed to bring some, some people in some sort of, um, you know, I guess I was 23 at the time. I slotted into that median sort of age group, really, to sort of bridge the gap between, you know, those older guys moving on and the younger guys, uh, coming through. Um, but yeah, mate, learn a heck of a lot, you know, definitely about, um, you know, leadership, um, what drives, you know, people to, you know, to, to success. Um, you know, um, I didn't really ever see myself as a leader, um, you know, moving forward in my life, you know, I was branded as a bit of a follower at school, you know, and, um, you know, um, definitely that time at Wasps was formative into what I'm doing now and being the, you know, the, the leader of this, uh, this movement that, we, that is known now as Pacific Rugby Players Welfare, which is really driving, uh, positive change for, uh, for Pacific Island rugby and, uh, and, and the game as a whole. Amazing and um, Heineken Cup medal. Talk us about that one. Yeah, um, mate. It was again. Um, you know, we um, we were riding high. Uh, Two thousand and seven, um, just before the World Cup. So uh, a lot of guys in, in the squad in our Wasp squad had a, a lot to prove. Uh, by then, you know, a lot of those guys were probably getting touted as a little bit old. 
and they wanted to prove to the you know to, to England club rugby you know actually I'm still the I'm still the top dog here I'm going to be at that 2007 World Cup in a in an England jersey and that was for me, the same for me you know wanting to be there uh, at the the end of that season at the World Cup uh, for Samoa so uh, you know when you've got a carrot like that it brings the best out of you I guess and um, and also a very famous rivalry with uh, Leicester Tigers at the time uh, Leicester and Wasps you know. Um, you know, back then, you know, we were like the Exeter and Saracens uh, of the time, really. And that rivalry of, you know, who's going to be top dog was very much those two clubs. Um, and um, Leicester had won the, the, the Premiership and the uh, Anglo-Welsh competition that year. And uh, basically, we stood in between them uh, winning the triple, uh, the triple uh, crown, which no one's ever done before. So they were fired up. We were fired up. It was a sold out Twickenham on a beautiful sunny day. And uh, we we spoiled the party, mate. So uh, we were we were really proud, and you know that was. Uh, I think we were probably all more uh, chuffed about that after the after the game than uh, the winning the uh, the trophy itself. The trophy was like the uh, was like the second uh, <laughs> the second prize, mate. Yeah, but, uh, second prize, um, exactly. But uh, now, nah, mate, uh, great memories. Uh, really tight. Uh, net bunch of guys and um, yeah something that really um, I was lucky to be a part of because it really spring springboard my career after that uh, getting some you know um, some good contracts uh, moving on for the for the rest of my career when you say you've got a Heineken Cup a European uh, medal to your name all of a sudden you know uh, um, it makes your, your agent's job a lot easier. So uh, yeah, again, uh, yeah. pretty blessed. Mate. Yeah, yeah. My, 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 the story of my career, corner is not of skill or talent. It's just being in the right places at the right time. <laughs> well, that's how it sometimes work. But also, you know, the right people get the right chances. That's how we believe. Um, you know, rugby is an incredible sport, and it. Um, some people miss out on those through injury, through whatever. And some people, um, you know, get those chances and get lucky um, and make some great memories through the game. But look, apart from all of that fantastic time there, you then went on and you played in France. But you played in the 2007 World Cup for France. Um, and I, if I... If I'm not mistaken, your first game was against the Springboks. Did you play in that? Yeah, game? that's right. Uh, we got hammered in that game. We actually scored the first try. I think I remember talking to you about this. I think you were at the stadium, weren't you? Um, I was there. Uh, yeah, before, <laughs> before we before we knew each other. So, um, but yeah, we uh, we were we were we had a massive team, and we were um, you know we, I think we I think it's the first time anyone's put out four brothers. We had four two like Tuilangi brothers. Uh, in the starting, uh, uh, sorry, in the in the twenty twenty two it was back then. Um, so you know we were we were big. We had guys like Alfie Tuala and Joe Takori. We had a massive, massive team. Uh, we came out firing for twenty minutes and then we just died off. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, there was some big big deficiencies in our in our game plan um, back then. Um, but uh, yeah, mate, um, you know it was it was fantastic to be you know the the, the World Cup for anybody, any athlete, uh, the, you know is is the pinnacle of the sport really in, in rugby and uh, and it was a real honour to be there and fly the flag for our, our little country. You know, Samoa's only a country of uh, one hundred eighty thousand people, so uh, the fact that we're even at the World Cup um, is uh, is a big achievement. But uh, you know, 
getting to play against uh, uh, some of those guys. They went on to, to win the World Cup. They were a great team that year, um, led by by John Smith. And, uh, um, you know, just to, to be able to, to be in that opening game against the, 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 the would, you know, the would-be world champions was uh, yeah, fantastic memories, mate. Yeah, I remember that game really well. I think um, Brian Abana scored four tries that day, if I'm not mistaken. And but um, one thing, <laughs> yeah, um, um, in, yeah, in there's that a few, there's um, a few few records broken on that day, and uh, not on the video. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I tell you what, we saw um, we we saw Victor later that um, tournament, and we're just chatting to him, and then Vic said. Uh, you know, we talked about Samoa and we were there, etc. He said, you know, he was standing in the tunnel looking back and he said he's never seen a, a big, as big a team as that. Uh, so what you're saying, your team was massive. He, he certainly agreed with that, <laughs> you know. So you had the two lucky brothers. Uh, what legends they are as well, you know, in the game. Mate, uh, looking back, it's 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 funny. I uh, remember reading um, John Schmidt's uh, uh, part of his. You know, he wrote a, a column, and somebody asked him, "What was the most physical game you ever played?" And and that was it. He said it was that game, even though the final result was something like sixty points to five or something like that. Um, you know, it was a, a, a big uh, achievement, especially you know, Bucky's both uh, uh, Danny Russo. You had some of Victor Matfield, some of the most physical. Players uh, ever to put on a, a Springbok jersey, you know, jersey, let alone you know, in the world. Um, so to say that, you know, shows uh, that we were, you know, as a small nation, we were there or thereabouts. Um, but um, unfortunately, yeah, um, we just didn't, uh, couldn't live with them for uh, past, you know, uh, thirty minutes. Uh, really, um, I always say that if uh, rugby was a, a forty-minute game, with Samoa would be the world champions every single year, mate, or, or Tonga. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> mate. Um, yeah. Yeah, sevens is probably as close as we can get. <laughs> yeah. Well, I tell you, um, one thing that uh, stood out in that game was, um, you know, the share, I mean, of the Lions tour in South Africa at 2009, the test, the second test at Loftus, was probably one of the most physical games I've seen, including, um, you know, any other Springbok England Springbok, Springbok All Black game, but that game, that opening game, two thousand and seven, or the opening game for you guys, two thousand and seven, and Park the Bronze, um, that was a that was a full on game, you know, it was amazing, amazing to be there, you know, the yeah. score relevant, irrelevant at that stage, just the, the watching the game, you know, and the the. Um, Quality of play on the pitch and the quality of, um, you know, the genes, the the natural sort of athletes that the, the Islanders are, and then obviously the spring to a fit as well. That was an incredible game. Are you there, Dan? Kone, can you hear me? Yes, you're back. So no, I'm just saying just, that was just, just a, was such an incredible game, um, physic, physical game. And yeah, um, no, mate, yep. I still I remember still, it still better than Bruce that, that one now. <laughs> so I, I saw, I, Dan, I was at... Dan, um, Dan, 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 that took five years off your career, mate. <laughs> 2011, moving to the World Cup 2011 in New Zealand. 
um, I once again I was in the uh, lucky enough to be in the stadium there at, um, in Albany, um, and um, yes, I think did you play in that game because uh, that was also another tough game, you know. Yeah, I remember that one. Geez, that was uh, so four years along. That was sort of uh, you know we're a different team by that. We were, we were a lot fitter, a lot smarter in the way we approached the game. And uh, really, we're looking back, we sort of feel that that was one of the ones that probably got away from us. We had a good opportunity. We were toe to toe, you know, for a long, long periods of the game. And I think we actually finished the game stronger. We had a, a try to allowed by Nigel Owens that we thought was a was a clear try. He called it a double movement. I think. Uh, which would have put the game within sort of seven points, uh, uh, seven points difference, which would have been anyone's game um, with about 15 minutes to go. Um, but uh, yeah, mate, that's such as life in rugby, eh? It's uh, small margins. Um, you know, we respect the, the referee's decision on that one. And sometimes you get calls for you, other times you get them go against you. And, uh, um, that's like life, mate. So, uh, yep. Uh, but yeah, no, really, really love that. For me, the, the World Cup in New Zealand was a highlight of my career, probably just because uh, the way that the Pacific Island and, and the Samoan community uh, really, um, you know, got behind us as a team. So, uh, yeah, fond memories, mate. Um, unfortunately, we couldn't progress out of our pool. Um, but, uh, but, um, yeah, um, again, we were, we were, we were, every time, man, we we're, we're always pulled with, uh, with South Africa and we've never beaten you. We've never, ever beaten you guys, man. It's uh, a real, a real bugbear yeah, of mine. Was uh, I think, uh, <laughs> yeah, I think that was the closest we might've come. We might've come closer one, another time in maybe the early nineties. Um, but, um, yeah, mate, um, that's uh, chalk and cheese now. But uh, why? slipped a yeah, long way was, since. Why was? Since, yeah, so sorry, I'm interrupting you, but why was Samoa so prepared on uh, at, on that specific World Cup? Is it to do with the yeah, the was location? A, that was our World Cup, really. Yeah, we just you know the location was good for us. Uh, you know, we had it was like playing home games, I guess. Uh, with uh, we've got more Samoan people living in New Zealand than in Samoa now. Um, so, you know, it felt like home games to us. Everyone had a point to prove, but also we just had a really experienced squad. We had a lot of guys who were based over here in the Premiership at the top of their game. You know, guys like Census Johnson and uh, Khan Fotuali'i, uh, George PC at the time, Alessandra Tuilangi. You know, these were big, big names who were, you know, some of the, the best players in the Premiership um, who all come together. Um, you know, we had a couple of big boys in France as well. Mapasua was one of those, you know, other names and, uh, yeah, it was. Um, it felt like our time, I guess. You know, we we we, we knew each other inside out. We'd um, we'd climbed from that that bad experience really in two thousand and seven, uh, losing to South Africa and then losing to Tonga in our pool to really claw back. And we had momentum. We 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 went to to Sydney and uh, just before the World Cup and turned over the Wallabies in in Sydney, um, which um, really gave us the confidence going into the World Cup. Um, but uh, the problem being um, really is we just didn't have any depth um, in key positions, particularly in 10. And once we lost our first uh, choice 10 in the first game, pool game against Namibia, um, we had Wales three days with a three-day turnaround. We played Wales and he didn't recover in time. And um, that was it, mate. You can't go into, you can't play against a quality side like Wales uh, without, a, without a kicker. Eh? And um, again, that was a narrow game. I think we lost by maybe 10 points, but uh, again, 
you know, one of those ones that had we'd had our, our first choice kicker on the field, it could have been very, very different. And, and that game was really pivotal to the pool. Um, and then that when we played in that last game against you guys, against South Africa and Albany, uh, we, we needed to win on the bonus point to, to progress. And, you know, again, yeah. mate, you know, given that we'd never beaten you guys before to try and beat you uh, with the bonus points, always going to be a bit of a, uh, a tough ask. <laughs> yeah, but I, uh, that, uh, that World Cup was when, um, just uh, in terms of the level of the, the sort of second-tier nations or the nations that were not um, going to potentially win the World Cup, they seem to be stepped up stepping up in that particular World Cup. Do you think is the professional game uh, players are more used to um, the being professional, um, a more opportunity? Um, do you think that's a, a big part of um, it? Um, or do you think it was just um, because it was in New Zealand? Yeah, I think... Um... I think uh, well, rugby at that stage, you know, was uh, was was making good uh, good progress um, around the world. Um, a lot of the squads had uh, players, professional players that they could draw upon. Uh, but also there was a there was a lot less fixtures uh, in the in the domestic club competitions than there is now. Um, so there wasn't that conflict, um, perhaps that uh, a lot of players probably feel now with uh, you know the Premiership and the top fourteen. Now they run through the World Cup. That 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 wasn't happening back then, um, and now it means that a lot of those tier two uh, players are having to make the decision between playing, you know, effectively paying their own way to go to the World Cup and losing money or, or, or a professional contract here, but they can't do both. And the clubs will make that ultimatum to them. So that's the difficulty, I think, Kone, um, that, uh, you know, for tier two now is that the club's competitions, particularly in France and England, have become so strong and powerful. That they actually uh, um, command more of uh, uh, the player time, you know, and, and efforts than, uh, than the national sides uh, can afford to, you know, to, to recompensate them for. Yeah, and is this is this now with um, your voice that you have, and that you guys have through this movement or this uh, organisation uh, that you're the CEO of? Is that one of your main um, issues, main things that you're addressing? Yeah, um, you know that's that's definitely a part of it. As I said, you know, there's a lot of a lot of issues now that. Uh, um, they affect the performance and the, I guess, the development of tier two nations, uh, not just the Pacific, but, uh, you know, tier two. Um, and again, you know, I mentioned that short turnaround and the fact that there are still, uh, disadvantageous, uh, schedules at World Cups for the tier two teams, you know, that have to quite often have to bear the brunt of the three day turnarounds. Um, at this level, you know, the top level, that should be better, to be honest. Um, everybody should be given uh, the same amount of rest time in between games, um, but also, you know, the, um, the the lack of financial equality in the game, where um, you know the, the richer unions now, um, you know, can can pay their players, uh, you know, can buy their, their you know their their, uh, their players out of their contracts to to be available all the time. Uh, the small unions can't do that, so they're relying on goodwill of the clubs. And uh, the players quite often to, to come back, definitely in the case of the Pacific, you know, where we have to, we still have to, you know, the boys have to fly, pay their own flights back and, and put their own families up in the hotels and that. And you end up, you know, 
um, being massively out of pocket to play for your country, which we do. You know, everyone does for pride and we love doing it, but uh, um, there's only a certain amount of time you can do that, particularly at the end of your career when you, you know, you're, um, you know, you're possibly, you know, not going to be getting a contract isn't as easy anymore as when you're young and that's actually when we need the players to be available when they've got that experience to bring back so well, yeah mate there's a lot of issues um and um yeah we we, we are an independent uh, organization through pacific rugby players welfare to really provide advocacy for all of these issues because uh you know it's the only way that um that the sport will move forward and, and truly become a global game as if they make it uh, more accessible to uh, for developing nations to be able to reach that top uh, level. Um, what we've seen in the last, uh, since rugby went professional, it's just the same teams uh, in the top, in the court, in the semifinals every year. Um, you know, Argentina got close and made a bit of a dent. Obviously, Japan's made an impact, but, uh, you know, they're still quite a way off from winning a World Cup. And we want, you know, the position now where, you know, um, you know, where, where a lot more teams can actually go there and with a chance of winning. That's what makes football great because, you know, when you, when you turn up at the World Cup, any one of 30 or, you know, whatever, how many teams there are at the World Cup can win it effectively, you know. No one could call it, whereas rugby's still a long way off that. Um, you know, it's, you, you go there realistically. You know, one of one of three or four teams can win win it in rugby, and uh, that needs to change. But it's only going to change if uh, if those at the top actually want to see it change, and uh, that's where we've got a job for ourselves on our hands to try and change perceptions and. Uh, you know, and really try and get those, uh, you know, those richer nations to live out the values that the game is uh, built on, which is, you know, uh, um, you know, respect, equality, um, you know, things like that, uh, fair play, <clears throat> um, you know, the things that we all want to see, and actually, the, the fans want to see that. You know, they want to see when they when when a team turns up and they see Wales play Samoa or New Zealand play Fiji, they want to see two teams that are absolutely at their prime, got their best, all their best players available, and have had exactly the same rest, all the same preparation, and uh, and then we will see who's the best. You know, but uh, unfortunately, uh, at the moment, it's a little bit loaded that we we don't get to see those you know those true contests. So that's our that's our heart really at Pacific Rugby Welfare is uh, working through those issues and also supporting. Um, hundreds of Pacific Island players who um, are chasing the professional dream over here and sometimes struggle with cultural differences and uh, dealing with contracts and may, may not have that education behind them that uh, that other people have. So yeah, lots of issues, mate. Uh, we're we're just still scraping the surface. <laughs> yeah, and and I mean, you've you've uh, started a series or you made a series called Oceans Apart that people can have access to. So um, can you tell us where people can have a look at it and how they can support uh, your organization so these guys get a a better opportunity, a better chance for us to see quality teams at World Cups and test windows, etc.? Yeah, definitely. Just give us an idea how we can, how, how, how we as the public can help. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, we've got uh, if, you, if, if you we've put together three of a, of a series, three episodes of a series so far, which we're calling the Oceans Apart series, focused on uh, some key issues and some of the bigger, you know, some of the, the well-known players, um, you know, stories. Uh, really, just opening up on some of the stories really that we we face as a community, uh, the Pacific Island rugby community. Um, 
And yeah, just, um, you know, one of our, the big jobs we've got on our hands really is raising awareness as to, to those challenges because uh, people just don't know. Um, so yeah, that's the, the heart behind the series, I guess. Um, we've got a Patreon page. We've got a, we've got a website, Pacific Rugby Players Welfare, um, on Patreon as a, as, as a way that people can, uh, can, can support financially if they'd like to get behind, um, you know, the production of any of those, that series or also, you know, some of the other, um, uh, programs that we're running out. You know, we've got a mental, full mental health, uh, program, which we support, uh, over 400 players now have access to that. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, through, uh, patreon.com forward slash, uh, Pacific Rugby Welfare. Um, and yeah, any, any support that, uh, anybody can uh, afford us in terms of, you know, finances or even services, you know, um, that's a big thing, you know, the expertise being able to offer our players, um, you know, the, the, you know, legal service or, you know, financial advice, uh, would be massively appreciated. Amazing. Um, look, we, we need the Pacific Islands Island teams to be at their best, and we, as a rugby community, need to to sort of help with that and help with the awareness. And um, yeah, uh, uh, very important for world rugby, I think. Um, regards to um, your involvement with Rugby Coffee with us as a brand ambassador, um, tell us why you. Uh, decided to join our team. Dan, did you hear me? Yeah, there? yeah, yeah. I got that. So, yeah, I guess it's a really good question, Corne. Uh, um, you know, for me, um, it was really cool uh, teaming up two sort of passions of mine now. You know, coffee and, and rugby. Um, but also, the for me, it was really the community aspect of the. Of the of, of the vision that uh, you know that, uh, that, that that is at the heart of the business plan really and reinvesting back into uh, um, projects you know uh, community projects that are going to benefit um, and, and share the you know the uh, the passion you know that we have for the sport but also using it as a tool to to really uh, better some of those um, you know some of those communities as well. Um, you know, um, I've, I've been very blessed to, uh, be supported by, um, a lot of people who are helping us with the Pacific Island and the Pacific Island rugby context. Um, and rugby coffee was, you know, a way f- for me to jump on board as an ambassador to give back in, in that sort of similar context. And I think, um, it's always a value of rugby. You know, we always want to give back and, and, and pave the way and make the, the world, you know, the, the, the sport a better place for, for the generation that come behind us. Um, but it's not always easy to do that, you know, not by yourself. So you've got Amazing. to get behind uh, uh, visions of yeah, uh, other organizations. And Rugby Coffee for me was, you know, um, really encompassed a lot of those, you know, those, those uh, passions that are close to my heart as well. Amazing. We are very honored to have you on board our team. And we are looking forward to obviously make a difference to these kids' lives through through the game of rugby. Um the plan is to bring real quality gourmet coffee to the rugby market and and uh, 10% of the profits going into selected um, charities, projects. And um, we're very passionate about it and we're very excited about what we can achieve as a rugby community. So, um, and helping the game grow, helping changing lives, etc. And And like you said in the beginning, you know, um, it, coffee rugby bring people together and 
and people want um you know and want to make a difference and hopefully that was what we'll do and um with people like yourself and our other ambassadors on, that we've got on board we we've got a chance of doing that and um yeah amazing to chat to you but and and thank you for giving us a little bit of your your background and your experience etc and we only touched the surface there but it was good and um we wish you all the best in your uh, plans uh, relocating back to australia um and settling in back there and um with the plans with um the pacific wealth player welfare um you know we we behind you all the way and um and i'm hoping that uh, that's this podcast we can do this again at some point once you settle back there and you know, hopefully we'll see you back here in the maybe 2023 World Cup. Not as a player, though, but back in France for a catch-up. <laughs> um, but, mate, it was fantastic to, to chat to you. And it was a pleasure as well to, to coach with you at London Cornish. What a lovely club. Um, exactly. And, uh, yeah, we, we had a great time there. Mate, it's, uh, it's a fantastic vision you guys got there at uh, Rugby Coffee Corner, and it's exciting times ahead. So uh, keep up the good work, mate. We look forward to uh, you know to being part of that journey. And, uh, mate, thank you very again for your time. Thanks to everyone out there for, for listening. Really appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, God bless you all. Yeah, God bless. Thanks, buddy. Take care. Cheers, pal. Speak to you soon.